Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. So good to be with you. In fact, I'm actually broadcasting from our headquarters today in Chicago, and I'm here live with much of our team, from my producer Jim to all of our engineers and Patrick. Oh, it's really neat to be in person in the studio because normally I'm home from my home studio and we're communicating via video chat. And so it's a neat day. We've posted on my Instagram. Follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. If you want to see all the screens, I share a little bit of the behind the scenes. But today's conversation is one that might be both shocking and fascinating for some, especially those who are interested in science. We're going to talk about CRISPR genetic engineering and how this poses fascinating developments in the world of science and even our technologies with medicine, but also moral concerns and questions. We'll also talk about abortion a little later in the show, taking uh, both your questions as well as talking about some of the great news that we see coming ahead with the changes in various laws in this nation. We'll talk about xenotransplantation as organ transplantation from animals to humans. Have you ever thought much about that? How do you feel? Does it weird you out? Do you think these things are interesting? I always find it fascinating when we think about the technologies and how far biology and science have come. I always kind of get this little kind of leery feeling about the capacity of what we're able to do today and the risk uh, this brings for many people in doing good uh, versus harming others. So to talk about this and the fascinating developments we have today in technology and medicine and science is Father Nicanor Ostriaco. Now, he holds a PhD in biology. He's a molecular biologist as well as a Catholic priest. He also holds high-level degrees in everything from moral theology to also, last I knew, he was also working on an MBA. Uh, he's very well-versed in the topics of genetic engineering. And Father Nicander, it's so good to have you today on Trending. When I first heard you speak a few years ago at Notre Dame, I was fascinated, shocked, and a little dismayed by how how far technology has come and the challenges it poses for us human beings in terms of what will we do with the capacity that we have to change and manipulate the human genome. Can you kind of give us a crash course in what CRISPR is and how it's being used today? So good, good evening, Timory, and thank you for having me on your show. So CRISPR is a groundbreaking editing technology that allows us to go into the DNA of every living thing and change it um, in a very precise way. So if you can imagine, for example, if you think about our genome, the human genome, 
It's made up of 46 chromosomes, and each chromosome is a long piece of DNA. You can imagine that as a, an encyclopedia of 46 uh, volumes. And we currently have the technology now with CRISPR to pull out volume 23, open it up to page 442, and then go ahead and change like the third letter on the fourth line of that page. So that's, that, that's the kind of precision we have. And it, you know, the Nobel Prize was given for this, uh, for this innovation last year. And uh, the reason for that is that it's just allowed scientists to do so much in terms of, of, of tinkering with, with genomes for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Um, what's, I'm curious as a scientist, is this both exciting and nerve wracking being both a scientist and a priest approaching this? Or what is your initial reaction when you hear we have this capacity? Well, I think every scientific discovery has potentials for good and for evil. And so I think that, you know, every drug can be abused. And so with this technology, it certainly is exciting because it allows us to correct genetic defects, for example, and the, the promise of, of helping individuals, our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are struggling with with genetic diseases. So, so, so this is unprecedented. But as you pointed out in your introduction, um, you can also use this technology to, to change things for the worse. And, and I think that's something we can talk about. Mm, absolutely. I, I want to dive into many of the elements of this CRISPR technology from how it's used with babies. But let's first discuss how it's most commonly used today. Could you give us some examples? So so the way the, the easiest way I can talk about this in terms of human uh, genetic engineering is for someone who has a genetic disease in, say, one of the cells of their blood. And what you can do is you can take their stem cells from their bone marrow and you can mm -hmm. genetically alter the, the mutation, the defect, and correct it back to normal and then reintroduce those stem cells back into the patient in the hopes that reintroducing those stem cells back into the patient will give that patient a brand new uh, blood system. And the blood system is actually cured of the defect that it had in the past. So that's one of the easiest mm -hmm. ways. But most commonly today, it's probably used to change uh, animals and plants. So, I mean, you, that's what we do. We, we use it to change animals and plants to alter their genes in ways that hopefully will benefit uh, agriculture or, or, or even just in terms of just studying what genes do, we can do that as well. So this would be considered a genetically modified food, but also, you know, especially living in Southern California for a long time, we had one of the top research uh, zoos in the world, the San Diego Safari Park and San Diego Zoo. And they were always doing things that uh, fascinated, but also uh, made me nervous when they talk about how they were bringing back various species through their latest technologies, the IVF that they would be using. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was fascinating, but also... Um, it, it sat wrong with me. And that's where I want to bring this to how it's being used with babies. But before we go there, I am curious, is there a risk, let's say that we're do, using this with a human today, uh, trying to get rid of a disease that's passed on from generation to generation. And let's say, you know, we're able to remove um, and edit that code of the person's DNA. What risk is there in those situations? So I, I think I have to make an important distinction. So there are, there are, 
um, molecular therapies where we can go in and change a gene of one of your cells in your body without affecting your ability to have children that are genetically altered. So that's called somatic cell gene therapy. And the kind of thing you're talking about where you're not just changing the individual, but you're changing that individual's children, that's germline gene therapy. And so we have to make sure that, that we distinguish the two. Uh, right now, I think most of the research is going into somatic cells. So, for example, I know that gene editing is being tested on individuals who have inherited uh, a mutation that makes them blind. And so the idea here is whether or not we can inject the CRISPR into the eyeball of these patients in the hope that the, um, the genetic editing machine will actually correct the defects so they don't lose their cells and they're, they're able to keep, to, see, to keep seeing. And, so, and the reason you go, why, why the eye? Well, the eye is just easy to access and you, you, can, you, know, you can just inject it directly into the eye. And then the retina which are the, the cells that receive light, those are the cells that are affected. And it turns out you don't really have to fix all of them as long as you fix a certain minimal, minimal amount. You can, main, you, can, you can help that patient uh, maintain his sight so he doesn't lose it forever. And I think you can imagine that this is the first time these patients who you know, were born basically uh, knowing that they're going to go blind, this is the first ray of hope that they have. Uh, that they will actually be able to to keep their sight. It won't be 2020 sight, but it'll be something that so that they won't be blind um, forever. Well, so with this brand new technology, we're in what sounds like very uncharted and experimental territories. Is that correct? It is. And and one of the things is, you know, we, we have to make sure that um, the accuracy of the change, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that scientists are, are working out right now. Uh, you know, you want to change the 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 broken gene, but you don't want at the same time to break other genes, right? So, so the trying to increase the efficiency and the fidelity of this CRISPR editing machine is one of the goals of contemporary uh, genetic engineering. Let's talk about how this is normalized in a way that I'm a little more familiar with having to do with uh, babies, people who are struggling in particular with fertility and infertility. Third party reproductive technologies continue to be on the rise in the face of growing infertility, but also it's a norm, especially among people who maybe uh, don't want to go through carrying a child through pregnancy um, and especially among celebrities today. Um, Can you talk and if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Father Nikander Astriak was joining me. Just call me Father Nick. Father Nick. Well, for those who don't know, he is a molecular microbiologist holding a PhD in biology, um, high-level degrees as well in moral theology, and he's a professor of biology at Providence College as well as in theology. Um, Father Nick, can you talk to us about how CRISPR is being used regularly today in the world of babies and third-party reproductive technologies such as in vitro fertilization artificial insemination, and surrogacy. So actually, uh, there really is no effort to bring those two together, um, only because I think everyone who's working in this field, whether they are believers or not, appreciate that the technology is not yet safe enough for that. So a couple of years ago, CRISPR 
was used to do some gene editing for some babies in China. Yes. And there was worldwide condemnation of that. Interesting. Uh, a Chinese scientist, uh, He Zhangkui, uh, used CRISPR in order to to change the genes of two girls. And, and um, there was a universal condemnation of that. And I think since then, there really has been no attempt to take that technology and apply it to human reproduction, only because, again, most people are, are, are concerned that this kind of technology will lead to uh, genetically defective, wounded, broken children. Because as you've said before, we're in uncharted territories. And so we don't know fully that the capacity of harm and risk that's being done in editing these genes. Now, you mentioned the story a couple of years ago, I think it was back in 2018, um, where this scientist in China um, basically genetically engineered two twin baby girls. Uh, the whole story was fascinating. I was really intrigued as what you mentioned, there was a universal outrage by people of faith and non-people of faith uh, at the risk that was involved. And I'd like to hear a little bit more of your thoughts, why perhaps on a level of conscience, so many people had a hesitation here? Well, I think you're dealing with children, right? And and we're, we, as a society, thanks be to God, we're, we're really concerned about our children. And uh, the danger with CRISPR technologies, you go in and you make the changes that you think you're making, but at the same time, you, this machine, because because of, of lack of fidelity and lack of efficiency, goes in there and changes a couple of genes that uh, increases your chance for cancer, for example. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have a kid who's born, uh, and unfortunately, the kid now is at risk for cancer. And I think all of us, especially those of us who are parents, would be deeply concerned about that kind of technology uh, that is being used, in a sense, uh, without sufficient safety precautions. And um, that's why I'm, I, I personally, you know, in terms of as a bioethicist, I personally have written against using any of this technology for germline engineering, which is the changing of genes that will affect future persons, uh, unborn, unborn people, people who've not yet come to be, only because we really will not be able to know the, the, the risks and benefits. So with medical interventions, you need to do a risk-benefit analysis, even with like vaccines, even with drugs. That's what we do. Um, you can't do this with unborn people, future persons, because you need future persons to do the study. And, and, and those initial people will, all be, will be subject to experiments, which we can never justify in our society. And it's important when you talk about future persons, when this was used specifically with the twins a couple of years ago, and these were already created babies in the earliest stages of development where they were editing their genes, correct? That's correct. Um, we don't have the details because, um, you know, this was done in a way that, 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 that was very suspect. But uh, from what we understand, embryos were genetically manipulated and then uh, genetically edited and then return to their mother's womb. Mm -hmm. So, so it was done in the laboratory. Um, again, you you don't have it. There's no peer review. There's no paper that describes this. So we can only speculate as to the details of exactly what happened. I'm very grateful that the scientific community came out really in outrage and not wanting to move forward with this technology, uh, germline technology in the creation of babies through IVF and artificial insemination. Uh, but I would like to talk for just a moment, Father Astriaco, about uh, the use of this approach in our culture today of designer children. I'm, I've seen it firsthand even uh, being just on social media. I uh, have an athlete 
athletic background with dance and I've had for years you know the focus where um, people will try to uh, recruit me to um, sell my eggs because people expect that people who have had athletic backgrounds would produce uh, better quality children you know some people want you know the blonde haired blue eyed baby or whatever that preference is the risk if we adopt CRISPR technology in the creation of new human life through these third party reproductive technologies is very risky in the fact that uh, people will would be engaging in essentially eugenics. Uh, can you speak a little bit to some of the concerns there if we started to adopt these technologies more so? Well, I think the concern primarily is that in our culture and our society like ours, uh, we simply don't have the moral boundaries and the moral language that would allow us to limit uh, a very strong sense of individual reproductive freedom. So, you know, we, there is a, there is a, there was a near unanimous condemnation of what the Chinese scientists did, only because there's there's widespread recognition that the the technology remains unsafe. But but I can guarantee you that within a generation or two, this technology is going right. to be optimized, so mm-hmm. it's going to be safe. And at that point, I don't think our society is going to be able to to draw the appropriate boundaries mm-hmm. in the sand because. I mean, for, you know, the, the, the language of reproduction and procreation in our, in our Western society, especially here in the United States, is about uh, individual rights and, and really personal preference satisfaction, right? Parents should have the right to have the children that they want to satisfy their desires. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just don't know if we're going to have the moral resource, resources to say no. To say no. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of my students in class was saying, yeah, about 50, 100 years from now, you'll know all the Catholics. They won't, they'll be the ugly ones, right? <laughs> so, um, wow. While all, everyone else is going to be incredibly perfect and pretty wow. uh, and beautiful only because of this kind of technology. I mean, oh. I think the student, well, the student was, was joking, but right. I think you, you get a sense of the kind of, of issues that we're going to face in the next generation mm-hmm. or two, because there's also going to be access. You know, the rich are going to have access to this. The poor will not. Mm-hmm. So so what's going to happen to that? It's going to widen the social inequities that we already have, the social inequalities. It'll marginalize people further. And so, and as you pointed out, there's going to be a eugenic mindset. Uh, there are going to be standards that are set with by society. But as we know, these standards change and so there, there's always a danger that that by the time you, you you have your kid, your kid's passe, just like you decide to have a car, but the car car comes in five years later, it's already passed, right? And mm-hmm. and then that's the issue is that we will we will uh, commercialize our children; they'll become products, mm-hmm. and they'll be they they will be um, products that are not begotten, rather they are made, and mm-hmm. and I think. And I think that's part of the challenge we will have. And my thought, Father, is that you can't design perfection. You know, nature will take its course. Disease will always be with us. And I think sometimes that's part of my hesitation, whether it has to do with designer babies or even some of the gene editing we're doing now with CRISPR. Uh, we have to understand as we move into the next generation with uncharted territories currently with technology, that that desire for perfection that that is already prevalent in our culture. And just look at poor young women today, the, the pressure they're under, but especially with regard to having children or if you experience an illness, uh, it, it's going to 
create, I think, a crisis of faith, but also a crisis of uh, just being able to function day to day in society without having unrealistic expectations on yourself. Well, I mean, you're, you're correct. I mean, we're seeing that everywhere now. And my students struggle with anxiety only because the expectations, one, are very high, and two, they're so fluid that they change constantly. So you're running after a butterfly that never seems to settle down. And so you're always mm -hmm. running for something more, right? And part of the challenge is coming to appreciate that what you have been given has been given to you because you have a mission that the Lord would like you to fulfill. And the reason why you don't have X is because you don't need X for what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And the reason why you have Y is because Y was given to you pr primarily because you need that Y in order to fulfill the vocation that you've been entrusted. So, and I, and I think, um, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you remove that supernatural horizon, uh, part of the challenge our young people have is that they're told that they have to make their universe and um, you just can't. <laughs> I, we have a question coming in from Frank mm -hmm. in Philadelphia about the use of CRISPR technology. Frank, welcome to Trending. What is your question for Father today? Hi, Timberley. Hi, Father Nick. Hi, um, Frank. Hey, Father. Thank you. <laughs> um, it, last year, they did some blood work. I was diagnosed in 2000. They found out what type of retinitis pigmentosa it was. It's called, like, the first two letters of the alphabet, A, B, H, D, 12. Um, right now, they said they're trying to find another person or something that has that. Are you familiar with that mutation? It causes SPARC, an acronym for P-H-A-R-C. It causes polyneuropathy, hearing loss, ataxia, retinitis pigmentosa, and premature cataracts. I, I got four out of the five. <laughs> Same. Okay. Um, are you familiar with ABHD12? No, I'm not familiar with that particular uh, gene and its mutation. I would have to look it up. Um, I hope that you are carrying the cross well. Mm. Mm. I think one of his questions from Frank is, would CRISPR possibly be something that could help him? Uh, one of the challenges is that uh, CRISPR would have to be applied to different tissues. And so I would have to look up which particular tissues in Frank's body would have to be corrected in order for that to be corrected, uh, in order for, his, for the symptoms to be alleviated. And I don't know exactly. One of the reasons why uh, the premature blindness is, is, is a common target for uh, therapies right now, these, these cutting edge therapies, is because it's limited to the eye and the eye is so easily accessible mm -hmm. for, for experimentation. But it sounds like with Frank's condition, which I'm not familiar with, it's affecting a lot more of his tissues. Many, uh, many uh, parts, organs in his body are being affected, which is why it would be a challenge uh, for CRISPR. Having said that, again, I would have to look it up to see whether or not there are particular stem cells involved. And if there are stem cells involved, then it's always hopeful that CRISPR could be used to correct the stem cells to replace uh, the tissues that have been damaged by that mutation. Our prayers for you, Frank, it can be such a cross when dealing with it a, is such a cross. health issue, especially such as this. So we pray for you, asking Our Lady of Hope and Our Lady of Peace to be with you as you carry this cross. That's Father Nicander Ostriaco here on Trending, a molecular microbiologist and a Catholic priest. And we'll be right back to talk about xenotransplantation here on Trending and also take your abortion questions in the midst of the heated debate we are in today. 
So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Father Nicanor Ostriaco is with me today on Trending. He's a molecular microbiologist holding a PhD in biology, a Catholic priest, a professor of biology, and a professor of theology at Providence College. He has a number of other incredibly respectable degrees. Needless to say, he is helping to bridge the conversation worldwide, nationally, between theology and science in medicine and our capacity uh, to heal and change uh, and bring people hope, but also where are those moral boundaries? Do we have any? Should we have any? We're talking about CRISPR genetic engineering with Father Ostriaco just a moment ago. And now, Father, when we were discussing before the show, what's the latest in the world of these technologies? You mentioned xenotransplantation and how important it is that we talk about this because of the latest developments. Can you explain to us what xenotransplantation is and the latest developments in this? So actually, it's really striking that the these developments that we're about to talk to talk about were only made possible because of CRISPR. So the first and second segments of your show today are actually linked. So um, your, your your listeners may have heard in the last couple of months, um, for the first time, really, we have been able to genetically engineer pigs mm-hmm. so that we will remove, using CRISPR, we actually removed the molecular signals on the cells of the pig that tell the human body that it's from the pig. And so what, what happened is that uh, a couple of months ago, we, there was the a reporting of the first transplantation of a pig heart into a human recipient. And the human recipient was not eligible for another hum, for a human heart transplantation for reasons we don't have to get into. And so he volunteered because he was he was imminently dying to receive a porcine heart. Porcine means from from a, from a pig, and um, we don't have the the paper yet, the scientific peer reviewed paper. But from what you read online from the news reports, um, the 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 patient who received the the pig heart was actually able to live uh, for several months. Uh, with this animal heart. Now, a lot of people may be freaked out about this, but it's actually nothing new in that we've already been transplanting pig heart valves into human patients for a mm-hmm. long time. Right. So now we're just moving from the heart valve to the, to heart. the entire heart. And you know, the people, your listeners may say, why a pig heart? Well, a pig heart tends to be of the right size and the right shape for transplantation into a human patient. And so the the hope here is that uh, these genetically engineered pigs will now be a source of organ transplantation, of organs that can be transplanted into patients who have no access to human organs simply because they're just simply not enough to go around right now. Okay, Father, I am not a science person. And so sometimes when I hear things just like this, my husband's family is all medical and it, it can creep me out hearing, you know, the bloody dimension of things. But I hear the side of this and it gives me the chills. I just think it's kind of creepy at the same time as it's really neat. And like you said, we've been using valves of pigs to help uh, with human hearts, but now we're going to the full heart. And I kind of just raised my hand. I don't think I would go for a pig heart if I needed a heart transplant. Uh, where Where is the moral line in this? 
this and where where would a person find themselves need um kind of morally culpable for saying okay well, i'll go ahead and have this transplant well i think i think the church is very clear that xenotransplantation of animal organs into human patients as long as it's safe um is actually morally fine uh there are only several there 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 are several organs that we cannot transplant only and i think they're self-evident why one is the brain and the other one is uh, the reproductive organs and i think and that's that's also uh something that's that the church has, has drawn a line for human human transplantation so i mean you can imagine uh, timory uh, how do you have children i do right so you can imagine that if you found out tomorrow that you had had you have a heart you know you unfortunately you had a viral infection of your heart you, you could only live two more weeks and some will say well you know if you have this 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 pig heart you can live for another five years for your children. And, and, and this is basically what happened with this individual. You know, he had no other choice. And um, he wanted to live, and he wanted to live for his family. And he, he had two more months with his family. And I think um, he would tell you, I, I, you know, from, we, we don't know his exact words, but from the interviews that was given on the press, I mean, he was grateful to God. Uh, he was grateful, and I would say I'm grateful to God, that he was able to have those two months with his children that he would not have had had he not received this heart. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, the, one of the things is that uh, we, we keep in mind that uh, the re once we understand that uh, the heart valve is not a problem and people don't seem to have a problem with a heart valve, uh, then th there really is no difference between a heart valve and a heart itself. I mean, it's just, it's animal tissue that has been shaped and uh, created so that it's compatible with a human body in order to keep the human patient alive. So um, in terms of the moral boundaries for this, I think the moral boundaries are the same for any medical technology. It has to be safe. It has to be done in a way that uh, respects the dignity of the human person. And especially because it's coming from an animal source, uh, the animals have to be treated humanely uh, in a way that, that, that recognizes that God created them, not just for our use, but also to give glory to, to him uh, who created all things. This is one of those moments where I'm always very grateful that we're Catholic because we're able to navigate uh, these new scientific and medical technologies. And as you clarified, Father Nicander, is that it's safe, as long as it's safe, it's safe. morally acceptable for us to engage in xenotransplantation of organ transplantation from animals to humans. Uh, one of the things that Catholic bioethicists discuss quite a bit is extraordinary versus ordinary means. And so we discussed how this man, you know, wanted to live longer and he had the choice and option to have this transplantation of the pig heart into his body. One of my questions would be, let's say, again, a young mom finds herself, you know, needing a transplant like this, but feels uncomfortable with it. Where is that moral culpability to go through with it? And would this be a moment where we're talking about ordinary versus extraordinary means to stay What alive? a wonderful question. Uh, what a wonderful question. So uh, let's say you have a mom, a young mom, who's confronted with the tragedy that she's, her heart is failing and she, she needs a heart transplant. Now, uh, you know, she has several options available to her. One is she can go on uh, a, a transplant list waiting for a human donor. 
And, um, she, you know, given the severity of her disease, if, if, if her heart was imminently failing, uh, she would rise to the top of that donor list. God willing, she'd be able to receive a, a heart transplant. Now, the challenge she faces is that heart transplants are rare and heart, excuse me, hard to come by. So now uh, the doctors come to her and say, well, uh, you have two more days to live and the chances that uh, we will find a, a, a compatible donor for your heart are practically zero at this point. But we actually have this company that is willing to provide you a heart from a genetically engineered CRISPR pig that is uh, compatible with you. Now, she would have to sit there and discern this both mm -hmm. medically and spiritually, right? So, so she would have to discern, you know, they would have to tell her, these are the risks, these are the benefits of this procedure. And depending upon when she would receive it, it would either be experimental or maybe 20 years from now, it would be settled standard of care. Whatever it is, she would have to be confronted with that, with that decision. And um, she would decide then whether or not she would take it. And if she chose not to take it, uh, for example, she would said, well, she, she just in moral conscience, she could not receive a, a porcine heart, then um, that would be reason enough for her to reject that procedure. And uh, she would simply be allowed to die. Right. Mm -hmm. So and, and so, you know, it's a tragic decision, but it's one we respect, given each of us has to make a decision in good conscience about uh, the medical interventions that we we receive mm -hmm. and uh who you know it's hard to know why she would refuse it i mean she just she just she just can't imagine walking around with a a, a pig heart i mean you can imagine that 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 thought would just be so repulsive to her that she just refuses to i could understand that Mm -hmm. it, it is an interesting debate because I think there will be people uh, as this becomes more normative uh, that maybe feel uncomfortable. And some people could criticize and say, well, what's the difference between what she's doing and rejecting the heart transplant and a person who uh, wants to end their life, for example, through physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia? But uh, we're talking completely about completely different things, right? direct right. killing. Complete direct killing versus um, refusing care that would be actually considered, would it be considered extraordinary care? Yeah, so 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 the, the, the difference is that there are medical interventions that are ordinary and therefore morally obligatory, mm -hmm. and she would have to accept those, right? Someone who is, uh, say for example, refusing food in order to kill himself, uh, that food is actually morally obligatory. So, so he could not do that. That would, in fact, be a, uh, a form of suicide. So what you would have to be able to, to figure out, and, and this is with the guidance of, of, of a priest and a doctor, is really sit down and determine whether or not this particular moral intervention is um, ordinary or extraordinary care. And if it's ordinary care, you're morally oblig uh, obliged to take it. And if it's extraordinary, you may refuse it. Now, mm -hmm. the standard um, test for this is really about benefits and burdens. So the, the patient has to decide whether or not the benefits of this particular intervention outweigh the burdens or the risks. So in this particular situation, the young woman may say, you know, um, I'm a little freaked out about having a, a pig heart in my body, but uh, my daughter's about to get married and, and I want to see her get married. I want to see her kids. So I'm, so the benefits of 
seeing her children or grandchildren uh, outweigh the the burden that she's going to have knowing that she's got this pig heart in her body so and each and this 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 moral judgment of deciding whether or not it's more uh, ordinary or extraordinary care is a moral one and um, when I worked in the hospitals it was one that that patients have to to deal with every single day because right. the doctors are going to give them that that decision that mm-hmm. choice and and they have to do that father nicander it's a, so um helpful for us to kind of navigate these new technologies and to have a sound voice morally and scientifically to help us navigate them joining me now is father nicanor ostriaco father where can people find you if they want to hear kind of your thoughts on these very important moral technological and medical decisions well, I think the best source is um, I wrote a book. It's on second edition now from Catholic University of America Press. Wonderful. It's called uh, On Bioethics. Um, it's Biomedicine and Beatitude. And so it's one of those, you know, if, if someone wants more information, they can easily go there. Wonderful. Biomedicine and Beatitude. We're going to post a link to that now on my social media. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, as well as on the podcast notes for today's show. Remember, you can subscribe, share this episode. We are the Catholic Church, and we are leading when it comes to science and understanding and navigating these new waters. I have a question for you. Would you go for a pig heart? I really am curious. Do people feel uh, kind of awkward about this? Are they interested? Would they choose this? Again, it's not um, cares or ordinary and required of us, but many people would choose it. I would like to hear your thoughts. We're posting now on social media because I am just curious where you lie on this. Again, follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And please be sure to pick up Father's book. We're linking it now on social media. Thank you so much for joining us, Father Ostriaco. We'll have to have you on again to help us navigate these difficult topics. Speaking of difficult topics, abortion roundup here. So many questions and debates ensuing, but some really great news that I can't wait to share with you in just a moment here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today, we are in absolute uncharted territory when it comes to abortion laws state to state. And here's why. We're waiting for the imminent decision passed down from the Supreme Court of the United States on the Dobbs versus Jackson women's health case that would determine whether or not the issue of abortion returns to the states if we're a totally getting rid of Roe versus Wade and the decision again returns to the states. Now, as I've discussed here regularly on Trending, there are a lot of states that have very pro-life laws currently on the books, such as Michigan, Ohio, Mississippi, Texas, and others uh, that were there prior to Roe versus Wade that would continue to function again for the first time since Roe versus Wade. And there are others that have voted in that list and many other states uh, that have since written pro-life and passed pro-life legislation that is state law, but that hasn't been able to be uh, really brought into practice because it wasn't being implemented due to the fact that Roe versus Wade, Doe versus Bolton, and the Supreme Court case of 
Planned Parenthood versus Casey really created this inability for laws to be regulated that outlawed abortion uh, after viability. Currently, medically, we see that's at about 22 weeks where we know uh, that babies have and can survive outside of the womb. I'm not saying always, but they can. And although there have been babies that have survived before that, it just hasn't quite changed the line of viability yeah. So what's fascinating is that we are in uncharted territories in the respect that normally when a pro-life law was passed in a state that banned abortion or put a restriction on abortion prior to that 22 week of viability, although it, it might pass the, through the legislators, the House, the Senate, and then even be signed by the governor, the state would not uphold the law because of the abiding law, abiding law, federal laws from the Roe v. Wade in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Now, it's interesting because if you look at what's happening right now, since since the Supreme Court has agreed to hear this case on abortion and is going to make a decision on the Mississippi law that outlawed abortion starting at 16 weeks, all of a sudden other states are passing similar laws. Texas also passing a very unique law, which we've discussed and explained here on Trending, that by the way, the Supreme Court upheld in September that would make it so that a woman can't have an abortion once a heartbeat is detected of the baby, basically really making very few abortions, that is the surgical abortions occurring in the state of Texas. So all of this being said, we're in a new world when it comes to abortion laws here in the states because Texas law has been upheld. Other laws like Texas are being passed and will be upheld even as we're waiting for everything to be worked out by the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, Oklahoma is yet another state that has just passed incredibly pro-life laws. In fact, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma governor, Kevin Stitt, just this week signed into law a protection against abortion that would go into effect immediately protecting babies from abortion from the earliest moments of life. Conception. I mean, this is absolutely phenomenal that we would see a law such as this even be possible here in the United States after the permissive abortion laws, by the way, the most permissive abortion laws in the world, were so un- uncivilized in that respect of what we've allowed to go on with abortion. And this is so unique that it's a moment to celebrate the fact that these pro-life laws are being passed, but also being upheld. The fact that the law in Texas was upheld is phenomenal. The fact that the Supreme Court heard this case in Mississippi, it's going to be life-changing and life-saving. And this is an exciting moment, especially for the pro-life movement to say, we are seeing restrictions being placed on abortion. Therefore, babies' lives literally saved because access to abortion is decreasing. And yes, women are having to choose life, are having to carry their babies to term. There's so much work ahead of us because although we are going to see abortion inaccessible in many states in this nation, we still have a culture of abortion that has uh, permeated in the hearts and minds and behaviors of so many of us. A culture where it's acceptable to say that a child's unwanted, wasn't desired, unplanned, unhoped for. Uh, we have to help change mindsets to bring back the joy 
when it comes to new life, even when new life is a surprise or maybe even when new life seems like an oops type of moment, that that's a consequence of the gift of intimacy before between a man and a woman. That means we have to go back to a moment in time where we used to have a greater honor and respect for the loving act of spouses, saving that act for within the context of marriage, having a level of what we'd refer to as reverence for new human life and the means of creating new human life. And these are attitudes that we need to bring back into society that really require faith, that require a God-given view of the human person and a human destiny, understanding that we are creatures created in God's image and likeness. This is an exciting moment for people of faith to rise to the occasion and spread the good news of Jesus Christ, the plan he has for the human person, the gift of human life, the hope and capacity that you and I have to do good, even in the most trying situations as a crisis pregnancy and having made mistakes in life. And even in those moments where you feel bad because maybe you don't want this child that you've conceived, that we help in healing that brokenness. This is the future. This is the pro-life movement. And it's going to call for us digging our feet in, standing up, stepping forward, as we will have more children that are here, but also children who perhaps weren't quite desired. And so helping to foster the gift of motherhood, helping women to navigate those difficult moments of motherhood from postpartum depression to fear and anxiety, even single parenting, of calling men back into their mission, their God-given mission to be leaders, protectors, and providers within their home for their spouses, for these babies to pony up, to rise to the occasion, to marry the woman. And this is a culture we have to return to when we've fallen so far from it. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Also, another win for the state of Oklahoma, another law that was passed and signed by the governor this week, or actually sitting on the, the governor's desk. Um, sorry, I, correction. It has been signed by the governor. So sometimes these stories change so fast. Um, and that is a bathroom law where it would require students in the state of Oklahoma to use the restroom that aligns with their biological sex. This would also include uh, locker rooms, etc. This is really important because we are at a point where we are leaving our children in situations of risk. Risk for discomfort, risk for compromising safe spaces for boys and safe spaces for girls, um, risk of exposure to things they shouldn't be exposed to, and risk for everything from sexual abuse to you name it. And so this is important. It was interesting reading some of the comments from the governor of Oklahoma about how this is really something that's common sense, that it's sad that we even have to make it a law. But thank God, governor such as Governor Stitt in the state of Oklahoma is willing to say, we draw a line in the sand. If the culture is going to engage in this insanity, we're going to have to clarify via law that this is unacceptable. We will protect our girls. We will protect our boys. And we will hold the line that there is a God-given view of the human person. And we are made either male or or female. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Uh, we continue to have many questions coming in on the abortion front, and I'd like to stay 
on top of these questions, uh, one person asked, a happy Catholic heart asked for resources that help women see that there are other solutions than abortion. These are resources that we should all have saved in our phones and readily accessible. If you know someone or encounter someone, a stranger or a friend who's in a crisis pregnancy, we need to always have access to the crisis pregnancy helpline. It's 1-800-394-4357. I've had it saved in my cell phone for years so that if I come into a situation where someone needs that crisis pregnancy line, we have it. We give it. It's there. It's ready. It will help them to get the local resources they need and get connected with their local pregnancy resource center that will give counseling, guidance-free medical care to help make sure that mom and baby are safe and healthy and to help that woman choose to keep her baby and make the best decision for her and her child. And that's life not ending life, no matter what the circumstances are. Abortion doesn't fix a situation. It damages a mother and kills a baby. And so pregnancy resource centers are, I think, really our leading resource that are untapped. And I really recommend if you've never been to your local crisis pregnancy center, pregnancy resource center, go tour the place, listen to what they're doing, hear some of the stories, attend their banquets and their fundraisers so you know about them and can recommend them to people who may need need this resource. Okay, a man on Instagram asked me, what about if your wife wife is raped? Do you keep the baby in those instances? Okay, first of all, no matter what the means of conception was, whether it was in a loving relationship or in the very unfortunate and terrible ex- experience of rape, you always choose life. There's no morally acceptable reason as to why we should kill an innocent life. Not even the rapist receives a death sentence. Why on earth would we give that to an innocent bystander being the baby in this this situation? So I think that's first and foremost really important. Um, And second of all, do you have to be the ones to raise that baby? That's a choice. You could lovingly and generously in the midst of the brokenness and the harm and the horrible thing that's experienced place that child for an adoption now why is this something that could be an option because perhaps raising that child will be very difficult given the circumstances but that doesn't mean we can end the life but we could lovingly place that child into the arms especially so many couples who are struggling with infertility today If you'd like to learn a little bit more about the instance of rape and some of the arguments and stories of people who were conceived in rape and have these stories, check out the website savetheone.com. That's savetheone, the number one, dot com. We'll post the link now on my social media as well as in the podcast notes. Just subscribe at relevantradio.com forward slash trending to the podcast or wherever you catch your podcast. Such important questions that we do have to navigate and even ask ourselves, what if I was in this type of situation? What would I do? I recently heard someone say to parents, and I think this is really good advice, parents, kids will mess up. Sometimes kids will find themselves in crisis pregnancy situations. And as a parent, have you ever thought how you would handle it in that situation if you discover your child was pregnant out of wedlock? I think it's an important question because How you respond is so important and preparing yourself in the event something like that does happen really shows where our pro-life stance is and how we can help our loved ones in navigating the situation, both in our families and in our communities.